Everyone and welcome to BibleQuest.tv. This is where we have an ongoing discussion on biblical questions as we journey on our quest for truth. And we believe there is absolute truth whose source is God, our creator, which is why each of us will default to uh, what, the, what God's word has to say about the matter. Our panelists are Stephen from Gettysburg. Hi, Stephen. Hey, Drew. How are you? Uh, good. I'm doing good. Thank you. Jeff Smeltzer from Exton, PA. Hi, Jeff. Hey, good afternoon. Scott, also from Gettysburg, is going to be joining us in a few minutes. Um, we'll say hi to Scott when he comes in. And Noah, our webcast engineer. Hi, Noah. You're helping us out. How you doing? I'm good. How are you guys? Good, good. I'm your host, Drew DeGrotto from Honesdale, Pennsylvania. Welcome, everybody, to the show today. All of you that are in our live viewing audience uh, coming in from the Zoom app, you can participate in the discussion two ways. Uh, we want you to participate. We, wanna, we want you to ask questions. We'd like to get more questions from everybody in our audience, so comments, questions. You can do that during the show at any time. Um, actually, you can text them in, and you can also call it in. Use your voice, your audio on your computer or phone, however you're joining the show. And uh, you do that by raising your hand by clicking the hand icon in the Zoom window, the video window. Click that. We'll see your hand up, and that'll tell us you want to come on, ask the question, and we will bring you on at the right time to discuss the things you want to talk about. Um, that's how you do it on a Zoom app. How do you do it there on uh, Facebook? Steve, on your if you're coming in from... If you're coming in from Facebook Live, uh, just feel free to leave your comment or question in the comment section below, and we'll get to that as soon as we can. Great. Okay, with all that house stuff out of the way, or what do they call it, housekeeping? House cleaning, housekeeping. House cleaning, housekeeping, one of those things. Yeah. Um, let's get into the into the topics and discussions. Uh, we have a couple answers, right? I mean, a qu couple of questions, right, Stephen? Where, where are we going with our first question today? Well, our first uh, question for today comes from Holly from a couple of weeks ago, and she asked, I have a question. My brother died suddenly a couple of weeks ago at age 50. I have wondered if he had to exit this world in order to make room for someone who was born that same day. And so I just want to begin by uh, sending our condolences uh, to Holly and to her family with uh, the untimely departure of her brother. That's always very difficult. And uh, several of us had to deal with uh, deaths in the family at far too early. And that's never something easy to deal with. I think that it's kind of a common reaction, perhaps when someone you love dies, uh, if you believe in God, we, we start looking for an idea as to what might've been the reason, especially for somebody who seems to die by our way of thinking prematurely. The fact is, we, we know uh, death comes to all men. We're going to die unless the Lord returns before uh, the end of our life comes on this earth. Um, but when it, when it happens sooner than is typical, then we start asking these kinds of questions. And I know I've gone through that. Um, and and reality, the reality is we can't know the answer to those questions. Um, God... Uh, God has his plans, and there are a lot of things he hasn't told us. But it reminds me of, I'll tell you this, I was uh, walked into a little uh, Tom's Kitchen uh, in North Providence, Rhode Island, uh, a couple of nights ago. And um, maybe it was last night, I don't remember when it was. But anyways, a couple of nights ago, 
And uh, there was a, a guy standing there, and he had a little bit of an accent. And he greeted me warmly, and I said, where are you from? And he said, Turkey. I said, what part of Turkey? He said, Istanbul. I said, well, I've wanted to go to Turkey sometime. And he said, there's no room. <laughs> and I thought, what do you mean? <laughs> if, I get, if the door to the plane opens, I can't get out because it's too crowded. Um, and, of course, what he was talking about was the influx of immigrants from Syria. And so it's becoming very crowded. When we think about the population of this earth, there are people who have the idea that, that the earth is overpopulated. Um, we throw, I don't know what we think about when we think about over, and I'm sure this is not where Holly's coming from. She's just trying to figure out why, what's the reason that my loved one died. But when we think about uh, those who would say the earth is overpopulated, you think about the amount of food that we throw away in this country. And I heard Scott's voice at a, in a dis, at a distance there. It sounded like he was off somewhere uh, about 50 feet from his microphone. Scott, are you there? No, he's not tuned in yet. Go ahead, Jeff. Okay, maybe it's the echo of my own voice. Some people say I, he and I sound alike. I'm not sure about that. But anyway, I'm not convinced that this earth is overpopulated. Uh, you drive around out west or in in the western part of the United States or in a lot of places in this country. There's a lot of room yet on this planet. Yeah, at least in the United States, we are definitely not overpopulated. There, we tend to, in cultures today, we tend to congregate in tight spaces. And I guess historically that's true. Uh, the cities, you know, going back when river travel was the way that that you travel and commerce was all based on navigating rivers. Then cities grew up on rivers. And then when railroads came along, cities grew up on railroads and, and at railroad intersections and that kind of thing. So we tend to congregate tightly in places where everything comes together, but there are huge, vast spaces of empty land. But we get back to the, to the idea of what's God thinking. What is God thinking? If somebody dies. You know, people die for all sorts of reasons, and sometimes we're just not going to know that answer until we uh, can ask God ourselves. Mm -hmm. And I do think it's important to note, just biblically speaking, uh, from everything we can tell, there would there would no, not be a spiritual reason for someone to leave this life to somehow make room for someone else or to come back as someone else. Um, there are other world religions that talk about the idea of reincarnation. Uh, that somehow when we leave this life, we get to have another go at it, uh, maybe in another form. Uh, but Hebrews chapter 9 and in verse 27, it's really discussing the once for all sacrifice of Jesus in this section. But he makes the point about our own death and judgment in Hebrews 9 and verse 27. And it says, and just as it is appointed for man to die once, and after that comes judgment. Uh, the, the teaching of the New Testament uh, would contradict the idea of reincarnation. We don't die multiple times or come back in another form, but we die once, and after that comes judgment, is the, the Bible teaching on that. And so just to, to clarify the Bible position, um, that's what uh, the, the New Testament would teach on that. Yeah, that's good to address it, from because somebody may be thinking, you know, in some spiritual sense, is there a limit to the number of spirits or something like that? There's an interesting passage just talking about death 
and how we should think of somebody dying prematurely. There's an interesting passage in 1 Kings, the 14th chapter, and it has to do with the house of Jeroboam. Jeroboam, you'll remember, is the king who, he's the man who leads the rebellion against Rehoboam in Jerusalem, and, and Jeroboam takes 10 tribes to the north and establishes the separate kingdom. And he leads that kingdom right into idolatry, and his house is going to be destroyed as a result of this, and all the males are going to be killed as a result of this. And Ahijah the prophet comes in and announces this. But in First Kings, the 14th chapter, uh, here's what is said, starting in verse 11. Well, I'll start in verse 10. No, I'll start in verse 11. Anyone belonging to Jeroboam who dies in the city, the dogs will eat. He who dies in the field, the birds of the heavens will eat. For the Lord has spoken it. So the Lord's bringing judgment upon Jeroboam's house. Why are they dying? Because God said so. But there was a young child. When you arise, go into your house. This is being spoken to Jeroboam's wife, if I remember. When your feet enter the city, the child will die. She had come inquiring of the prophet because she had a child that was sick. And now she's told not only is this child going to die, all of Jeroboam's descendants are going to be killed. But what about this child? Verse 13. And all Israel shall mourn for him and bury him, for he alone of Jeroboam's family shall come to the grave. In other words, have a proper burial, be treated honorably in death rather than killed and body left in the streets or something like that. Because in him, something good was found toward the Lord God of Israel in the house of Jeroboam. The only observation I guess I want to make here, sometimes we, we think of the premature loss of someone and, and we're, we're trying to explain this tragedy. Whatever the explanation is, in 1 Kings 14, it seems that the child uh, that died and he died in, a, in an honorable way where he could be mourned properly and buried. It was a, it was a blessing in some sense because the Lord found something good in him. What, what's the case? Was it that if the child had grown up in the household of Jeroboam, he could have been corrupted by idolatry and the Lord sought to spare him this? I don't know. But his premature death certainly did not mean the Lord was displeased with him. The Lord found something good in him. Hmm. That's a good observation. I hadn't thought of it from that perspective before. But, you, were talk, uh, you were talking a few minutes ago about the tightness, everyone going to the cities. Yeah. Didn't that, didn't that also start in Babel? Yes, exactly. <laughs> and maybe, the, maybe they were feeling like, oh, we're getting overpopulated here. And Lord says, ah, spread out. <laughs> of course, the Bible doesn't say anything about them thinking about being overpopulated, but it does go to the idea, historically, man has tended to congregate in tight spaces. Mm-hmm. Anything else on that one, Stephen? I think that's it. Um, just that we need to... Uh, be people who turn to the Lord in times of sorrow uh, when there's confusion over why something has happened. Uh, the Lord certainly does not promise us an explanation uh, for why uh, terrible things happen, but we know that we can trust the Lord and that he's able to, to see us through those difficult times, just as he's seen Job and uh, uh, certainly other people of the past through, through difficult times. And doesn't he use um, brethren to, implement that in comfort and trying to help each other out as we go through the share, share in that sorrow. Sometimes that's right. Uh, Paul talks in second Corinthians chapter one, that he had received comfort uh, so that he would be able to share that comfort 
with other people. And uh, certainly it's a great blessing to be able to talk with people who have gone through things similar to us. It's, we need to be careful about comparing suffering. Uh, certainly no, no one can fully understand an individual situation, but um, it, it is comforting to know that, uh, that there are others who have been through something similar and can help with perspective at times. Unrelating to that, but spinning off a little bit, maybe it'll spark more questions. We want people to give us more questions as we... We've actually got a couple of questions that have come in that I'm about to get to. So if you're looking to... Go ahead. Let me hold on. No, I'm not giving a new question. I'm just making an observation in relation to what I just said was, we often say to ask the Lord to help us in ways, just help us get through this, help us through that. And he never does it miraculously to say, okay, zap, you're now okay, and everything's going to be fine, but he uses his instruments. And that's the point I was trying to make a minute ago. We're his instruments. And if we're, if we're not carrying out his will and, and helping others, then we're neglecting to be his instrument. Yeah, certainly. We need What's to... the question you have, Stephen? Well, we've had a couple of questions come in uh, that I'd like to read um, that came in a few minutes ago, and we may not have time to fully address these on the show today, but I want to acknowledge them. We had a question come in from Robert who says this, Moses taught that divorce ended marriage when he said the woman, quote, may go and be another man's wife, end quote. Did Jesus contradict that teaching? If so, why would the Jews not use that as a justification for killing him? And why would it not at least be viewed as sin on his part? Finally, is this a consequence that one, um, is it, is this a consequence that should cause one to reject the idea that Jesus taught that the divorced commit adultery if they marry. Okay, can you read that question one more time? I'm not seeing it on my screen, and it's, it, it has enough pieces to it. I'd like to hear it one more time. Yeah. Sure. Yeah, because uh, that, that's me, it's a, it's a deeper question. Than this one. Okay. Yeah. Not, yeah. Yeah. Y'all should be able to see that there. Uh, sorry. Um, I'll paste that for the panelists here to see. So this question deals with the difference in the divorce law in the Old Testament and the New Testament? And it's a good question. And I think what we may do with this one in particular is may uh, we may defer this to a, a different show on a different day. It may be good to uh, talk about this in a little more detail with a little more time to, to look at the background. Well, we can, we can do that. I wouldn't mind making a quick comment uh, from Deuteronomy 24. Um, yeah, let's address let's address the question that came in. I think let's address it the best we can. Go ahead, Jeff. In, in Deuteronomy twenty four, there is a passage that is probably in in the um, viewer's mind, and um, I'm going to read the passage. It's it's four verses long, and it's all one sentence. If you have the King James version, um, it'll it'll read a little differently than I'm going to read it. Uh, The King James breaks it up into multiple sentences. But in fact, the idea is one sentence. The first three verses are along, if these things happen. And then the fourth verse is, then this. And so here we go. Uh, Where are you at? What verse? Deuteronomy chapter 24. And I'm going to start in verse 1. When a man takes a wife and marries her, and it happens that she finds no favor in his eyes because he's found some indecency in her, and he writes her a certificate of divorce and puts it in her hand, 
and sends her out from his house, and she leaves his house and goes and becomes another man's wife, and if the latter husband turns against her and writes her a certificate of divorce (laughs) and puts it in her hand and sends her out of his house, or if the latter husband dies, who took her to be his wife, then, and here comes the statement, So let's just sum up the first three verses before we get to the statement in verse four. The first three verses basically say, if a husband puts away his wife and she marries somebody else who either dies or also divorces her, then, and then we come to verse four, her former husband who sent her away is not allowed to take her again to be his wife since she has been defiled. But that is an abomination before the Lord, and you shall not bring sin on the land which the Lord your God gives you as an inheritance. When we come to the New Testament, and Jesus is asked about a a husband putting a wife away, and he says, uh, what God has joined together, let not man put asunder. And the response comes back, well, what about what Moses said? And the reference is to this passage. Uh, and the idea was that, as the Jews understood it, you can give her a writing of the divorce and send her away. Uh, and Jesus, of course, says, well, uh, Moses gave you this instruction because of your hardness of heart. That is, the Israelites were, as a whole, they were a, a stubborn, uh, rebellious people. And, and what God required of them was not always the ideal, was not always what God, God would ultimately expect of his inwardly defined but, and Jesus goes on to say, but I say unto you, and, and by the way, he mentions it was not from the beginning that way, and I say unto you, whosoever puts away his wife except for fornication and marries another commits adultery. All right, so, so then the thing that I want to observe here is this. Even in Deuteronomy 24, first of all, Deuteronomy 24 was not a command to, it certainly was not a command to put away your wife nor was it even a command to give her a writing of divorce. It was really an acknowledgement that these things happen. And you could say there was kind of tacit uh, approval or accommodation of this, but in the law of Moses, God's going to regulate that. He's going to say, if this all happens, you can't take that woman back. And ultimately, it's going to give a man pause before he sends a woman away. Now, the one observation I want to make, though, is this. Even in Deuteronomy 24, there is an indication that something is amiss in all this scenario. It's in the language, she has been defiled. He's not allowed to take her back because she has been defiled. What is it that defiled her? As I understand the text, it's that second union the second marriage. That's not to say that God is necessarily sending both these people to hell under the old law or that they're condemned, but even under the law, there was something not quite right about that second union, such that it can say the woman has been defiled. We come to the New Testament then, and we get the ideal teaching. Uh, husband and wife are to be joined for life, and a man who puts away his wife, other than for fornication, marries somebody else that second relationship is not acceptable, it's adultery. Gotcha. So in short, your answer would be Jesus is not contradicting the Old Testament teaching on that. 
Yeah, I, I don't think he's. I don't think he's so much contradicting as he's just. Uh, he's bypassing it. <laughs> he's going back to what was originally God's intention. The the Old Testament made allowances for divorce, um, and Jesus is then and and even in Deuteronomy twenty four, as they made the allowance, there was this acknowledgement. This is not the ideal. The woman has been defiled. Yeah, the, I think the question was implying that if she was defiled, that made her an adulterer, and therefore they, they why don't they kill them? Uh, uh, stone. Yeah, that, that, that apparently is what he's saying. And of course, what what is clear in Deuteronomy twenty four, and this is the law, uh, is that he can't take her back. So apparently, under the law, in this circumstance where the man puts the wife away, um, it's not regarded as adultery when she marries somebody else. Um, and she is not to be stoned, um, as, as of course, in other cases. Um, so, uh, Robert has, uh, is watching the show, obviously, and this is his response, Jeff, after your explanation. I just put it here in the, in the chat. It says, um, I see where you're going with this, uh, but God confirmed that divorce actually ends the marriage. It is not just an assumption. He did this by noting his own divorce uh, in the reference, Jeremiah chapter three, verse eight. Um, and then a separate comment, Deuteronomy 24, one and two was a command. See Mark 10, verse three. What did Moses command you? Okay, so let's, let's address that first. Well, I'm not quite finished okay. reading. Uh, the command was opposed to merely putting away, which would result in, ad- in adultery not the case with actual divorce. This yeah. freed the woman to, quote, go and be another man's wife. Go ahead, Jeff. In Mark ten three, and he answered and said to them, what did Moses command you? Jesus doesn't say that verse 1 or verse 2 or verse 3 are a command. He asked them a question. What did Moses command you? Now, there is an interesting uh, difference in Matthew and Mark as it, as it relates to that commandment. In one... Uh, the command is referred to as a command and the other is referred to as what Moses suffered or tolerated. But look at Mark 10, five, and it says, Jesus said unto them for your hardness of heart, he wrote you this commandment. So when we get to verse five, the commandment is, is used. And yet their commandment does not mean it's not referring specifically to the phrase, give her a writing of divorce. If you read Deuteronomy 24, there is no command to give her a writing of divorce. It's if this happens. The command is the whole thing. You talk about the commandments, the word, the decrees of the Lord. The decree of the Lord is the whole thing. Yeah, Stephen. So if I understand you correctly, Jeff, I, th- I think I, I'm following you. Is the Deuteronomy 24 law that was given in the law of Moses was a specific regulation for a specific scenario. Yes. If, 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 then. Exactly. Pause. And so it, similarly, there would be some other things in the Old Testament where it would be regulate if someone was killed under these circumstances or if someone was raped under these circumstances, then this is the law for that. And in giving those regulatory rules, the Lord is not at all condoning murder or rape. Right. But he's saying in this particular scenario, uh, this is a bad thing that has happened. But in this scenario, here's the law for that. Yeah. And so he's not giving his full pass on, oh, if you give her a certificate of divorce, well, the marriage is just gone. 
He's saying in this scenario, if she's married and then either dies or is divorced and then is remarried, that can't do that. Yeah. So into this idea that, that this freed the woman to go and be another man's wife, that was the Jewish conception of things. Uh, Josephus talks about the purpose of giving a writing of divorce. And Josephus says the purpose of giving the writing of divorce was so that she could go and be joined to another, so she could be another man's wife. The idea was, I'm going to write out on this piece of paper that I will have no further intercourse with you. You and I are not husband and wife here. Now you can take that and you can go to another man and he'll have confidence to take you as his wife because he'll know you're no longer mine and that I've given up any claim to you. So in the Jewish mind, that's what the writing of divorce did. It allowed the woman to go and marry somebody else. So then we go to Matthew chapter 5 in a context where he's talking about um, our righteousness needing to be more than that of the scribes and the Pharisees. And he talks about what the scribes and Pharisees thought of as sufficient to be righteous. And he says, no, something more is required. He mentions this in Matthew 5, 31. It was also said, whosoever shall put away his wife, let him give her a writing of divorcement. Well, Deuteronomy 24 did not command the writing of divorcement, but that was what was done. And the Jewish conception was, I'm a righteous fellow. Boy, I am righteous. When I divorce my, when I put my wife away, when I sent my wife packing, when I sent her out the door, I gave her a note that she could take to other men so that she could get a new husband. Aren't I a righteous fellow? And Jesus is saying, your righteousness needs to be more than that. As a matter of fact, he says, I say unto you that everyone that puts away his wife, saving for the cause of fornication, makes her an adulteress. He's saying, no, you are not freeing her to become somebody else's husband. Uh, what you are doing when you send her out with a piece of paper telling her she can marry somebody else, you're making her an adulteress. So it's the exact opposite of saying that the decree um, was that, oh, I've lost it. It was on screen here. But however, it said it a moment ago that, uh, that, that Jesus was teaching, uh, you can go and be another man's wife. Scott, you're with us, but your microphone's turned off. It's still turned off. It's still turned off. Um, it should, if you hover your mouse over the screen, click that microphone button, it should come up. I've been told by a couple of viewers today that we've been having some trouble with the audio. I hope that's not true for everyone. Um, but uh, we, I did get a couple comments on the Facebook page for that. If so, I apologize and hope that we can rectify that. Anybody on the Zoom app, please let us know yes or no about our audio problems. Do you hear us okay, or are you also having a problem on the Zoom, those of you in the audience on the Zoom app? Let us know. Just put that in the Q&A box and let, let us know. Yeah, that'd be helpful. We're certainly trying to improve our technical difficulties and things. Right. Well, we may want to come back to this topic another week. Um, but I just wanted to, to kind of address that idea. People have the idea of Deuteronomy 24 somehow was giving an instruction about how to get rid of your wife. Um, it's not. Um, but we can come back and talk about the various uh, aspects of that question maybe in a future program. I know we've got a couple other questions we want to get yeah, to. Yeah, let's, let's get to those other questions. Yeah. But the sound on our Zoom app seems to be all fine. 
And I've got a couple comments here on Facebook that it seems to be coming through just fine. Um, okay, well, very good. Back up oh, to the um, one from John 2017, if you don't mind, Steve, because that came in right yeah. after Roberts. Uh, yes, well, real quick, um, I just want to say, Robert, uh, I've got your couple other comments that's come in. We're going to try to bookmark these and come back to those. Thank you for your question today. I hope we can come back and spend a little more time on that. We will. Uh, we will. Yes. So our other question was from Marcos, and he says, In John 2017, Jesus tells Mary not to cling to slash touch him because he had not ascended to the Father. Then later on, he lets Thomas and the other disciples touch him with ease. Does that mean that Jesus ascended to the Father and came back before his final ascension? So let's read that text in John chapter 20 and verse 17. Of course, this is the text in the Gospel of John that discusses the resurrection of Jesus. Jesus has risen from the dead, and this is one of his very first appearances. John chapter 20 and verse 17, this is when Mary has come back to the garden. We'll pick up reading in verse 15, uh, verse 14. Having said this, she turned around and saw Jesus standing, but she did not know that it was Jesus. Jesus said to her, Woman, why are you weeping? Whom are you seeking? Supposing him to be the gardener, she said to him, Sir, if you have carried him away, tell me where you have laid him, and I will take him away. Jesus said to her, Mary. She turned and said to him in Aramaic, Rabboni, which means teacher. Verse 17, Jesus said to her, Do not cling to me, for I have not yet ascended to the Father. But go to my brothers and say to them, I am ascending to my Father and to your Father, to my God and your God. So that's John chapter 20, verse 17, the verse in question. And at least my understanding of this is this is not uh, something to be contrasted with the other uh, resurrection appearances of Jesus, notably in Luke, where he tells them, you know, here, touch me. You know, a spirit does not have flesh and bones as you see that I have. Why don't you read that one in Luke, Stephen, so we can see the two comparisons? Because that's one he's, I think he's talking about where he tells Thomas to touch him. Yes. Oh, well, and of course, Thomas, he'll say actually later in the same chapter, John chapter 20, and uh, he touches him in verse um, 27. John 20, verse 27. Uh, then he said to Thomas, put your finger here and see my hands and put out your hand and place it in my side. Do not disbelieve, but believe. Thomas answered him, my Lord and my God. The other reference would be Luke chapter 24 in verse 39. And this is when Jesus appears to his disciples and uh, stands among them. And he says, Luke 24, 39, see my hands and my feet, that it is I myself. Touch me and see, for a spirit does not have flesh and bones as you see that I have. Um, so in both of those passages, uh, Jesus makes it very clear that he's not a, some kind of resurrected spirit, but that he is flesh and bone. Um, Mary's reaction to Jesus here, where she's clinging to him, clearly she's able to touch him. There's multiple ascensions, but simply that Jesus is saying, don't, don't cling to me in that, you know, almost like a, don't get too attached to the fact that I've been risen from the dead here on earth. I'm going to be leaving again. I'm going to be ascending to the Father. Yeah, this is one of those cases where a word has a wide range of meanings and you have to just depend upon the, the immediate context to know which sense is being used. This word, hapto, 
can be used for. Uh, What's the word hopto for? Hopto, the touch. To or, touch, okay. Right? But it also means to illuminate, to like if you light a lamp. Um, it can also mean to hold on to. And, and so you have to pay attention to the context. Is it talking about illumination or is it talking about just contact or is it talking about clinging to, holding on to? Um, and I think the, the contrast that you've made between uh, the passage in John chapter 20, verse 17, and then later on when, uh, when uh, Thomas is, is told to, was, it, was that where you went, where Thomas is told to touch him? Mm-hmm. And um, yeah, so, so you look at the context and you, you can see the difference in the usage of the word in those places. Is that yeah. the same Greek word used in both places where one's translated cling and the other one's translated touch? In some translations say cling and some translations say touch. For the same uh, Greek word, though. Same word, yeah. Same okay. word. It can mean either. Right. And, and you just have to, to pay attention to the context to know which it's meaning. Okay, well, that's very helpful, Jeff. Um, thank you for that. So, Marcos, I hope that helps answer your question. Um, it certainly does not mean that Jesus uh, had two different ascensions or something like that, um, but it's just a contrast between him telling Mary, hey, you know, don't hang on to me because uh, I haven't gone to the Father yet. Um, and then to the other disciples who aid their faith, he says, hey, here, touch me. You know, maybe. Scott, we've not heard Scott's voice yet, and I see him, and his microphone does not seem to be muted now. Scott, can you say something to us? Oh, he doesn't seem to hear us. Yeah, oh, just barely. It's pretty garbled. Yeah, I'm having technical issues. My computer was messing up, so I took a different family member computer, went to the library, but all I'm hearing from you guys. It looks like Scott is Scott, are you calling us from the moon? Are you on the moon? <laughs> one small step for Scott. <laughs> got the flag behind him, and he's in a darker environment. It looks like he's got a spacesuit with his helmet off. Yeah. <laughs> and he sounds like he's coming in from the space station or something. All right. So, so, can you all hear me correctly? Because my signal keeps being messed up, so I assume if I speak, it'll be messed up. Can you all hear me correctly? Well, right now we're hearing you correctly, but it was breaking up occasionally in your conversation. Yeah, yeah. So if I have a comment, I'll probably type it in. All right. Well, go ahead and try to talk, because right now the audio seems to be all right. Okay, very good. Well, we've got just Um, a few. Go ahead, Stephen. Were you about to go ahead with what you were going to say? Go ahead. We've got just a few minutes left on our program today. I wanted to get to another question. Um, We had a question come in a few weeks ago about a a particular text in the Old Testament. Um, It's 1 Samuel 6.19. And this is a a number question uh, from the Old Testament. 1 Samuel 6.19. I'll read this. Um, You get there? While you're doing that, just let me, uh, for our podcast listeners that are listening to the recording, you can contact us by using our first name at BibleQuest.org. If you want to send us an email, that's uh, Jeff at BibleQuest.org, Scott at BibleQuest, Stephen or myself, Drew, at BibleQuest.org. Go ahead, Stephen. Okay, First Samuel chapter 6 and verse 19. 
It says, And he struck some of the men of Beth Shemesh, because they looked upon the ark of the Lord. He struck seventy men of them, and the people mourned, because the Lord had struck the people with a great blow. Now, the, the question here is a textual question. I'm reading from the English Standard Version, which says he struck 70 men of them. And my footnote says, most Hebrew manuscripts struck of the people 70 men, comma, 50,000 men. Now, some of our English translations say that he struck down 50,070 men. And so the question becomes, well, why is there such a huge discrepancy? There's... 50,070 and 70 is kind of a big difference. Um, so uh, how, do we, how do we reconcile that? And after looking into this uh, a little bit, it's hard to say exactly. Um, this is a challenging variant. I think one thing is that the, the majority of the Hebrew manuscripts do say they have the 50,000 term in there. Um, so it looks like that is the a, a likely reading. From that, there are a few notable sources that have the lower number, uh, namely Josephus, um, is cited in Antiquities six point one point four um, as having the lower number. Uh, there's a few other uh, sources that have seventy. It makes a little more sense in the context for it to say seventy, and uh, but the majority of the Hebrew manuscripts do have uh, the higher number, fifty thousand. And seventy, uh, Jeff. Uh, I don't know if you or Drew have a comment on that. I, I don't. Um, it's one of it, it's not unusual in the Old Testament where we have lists of populations of tribes or um, numbers of things um, or some discrepancies to have crept into the text, and it, it sometimes is fairly obvious that uh, it's just a. Uh, we would call it typographical, except they were handwriting uh, error when the num when the discrepancy is a big round number, you know. Uh, and here it's kind of interesting that the, if you say fifty thousand and seventy, that just that's an odd. It's if if you have fifty thousand and seventy of something, chances are you're just going to say fifty thousand. Um, you know, it's, in it's, other words, to round it off. Yeah, I mean, it's, it's kind of like if, if I said, uh, I have a million and three, um, something, you know, <laughs> well, why mention the three in, in that scale of things? Uh, so it, some people think that it's more, and just in terms of the population here, you, you would think 70 would make more sense. Yeah, but I was in Beth Shemus, and they were uh, guilty of looking into the ark, right? <laughs> That's that correct. Was the, that was the punishment for looking into the ark. So that means 50, if it was literally 50,070, 50,070 people in a place called Beth Shemus, which population most likely would not be that big. Um, but all 50,070 actually looked into the ark and they all died for that. Mm -hmm. so, yeah, it's a, it's a hard one because like you said, Stephen, there are more uh, manuscripts that do have the 50,000. But. Right. And so it becomes a textual question of uh, the greater support for the Hebrew text would be for the higher number. The context seems to indicate a favor for the lower number. Uh, but either way, I don't think we have a, a biblical um, contradiction here. Uh, I think what we have here is just a question of, okay, well, is it one way or is it the other? 
Um, and there are sometimes we run across these difficulties and with numbers, particularly like Jeff mentioned in the it, Old it, Testament. In those cases, Jeff, when, when specifically with numbers, the manuscripts that we, we have were, and they used, those were copied from the others, right? Copied. Is it yeah. possible that they could have copied the, the, that word, those words wrong, and then a lot of them came after that one that was wrong? Yeah, and I don't know much about, I don't know much about, I know very little about the uh, writing of Hebrew um, in the in the transcription of the manuscript in the manuscripts in Hebrew. I know very little about that, but just generally speaking, yes, all that we have as far as the ancient manuscripts in the Old or the New Testament, they are copies of copies. And when you make copies, there are transcription errors that enter in, and uh, it's easy to in in it's easy to introduce an error in numbers, especially when they would often use to represent numbers, they would represent letters and you would have um, one letter that could look similar to another letter or that sort of thing. I think we talked about this in connection with, with uh, the mark of the beast in, in 666 um, and then the variations that there are of that. I think uh, we talked about this kind of thing when we discussed that. Yeah, and we also had a, a comment come in here from an anonymous viewer on the Zoom app. Um, and I'm, again, I'm just reading this. I'm not much of a Hebrew scholar myself. Um, the, to consolidate their comment, it looks like the Hebrew word um, that is used for thousand is also the Hebrew word that can, I mean, a family or an ox or a cow. Um, and I did, I did read this uh, in looking up some possible answers for this. So perhaps, I don't know if it would take a revocalization or what, uh, this text could read, he struck down 70 men and 50 oxen um, instead of 50,000 uh, people. So again, that's another possible reconstruction of the text um, that might give, yield that lower number of the number of people who looked into the ark. But I, I don't know of an English translation that puts the oxen there in the text. Um, so a good question, uh, one that uh, to keep looking at and appreciate uh, everybody's comments on this. Scott, you have a comment? If my audio is working, just one comment. Is my audio working correctly now? Yes. Okay. Um, back on the question about uh, don't cling to me and don't touch to me. The question was asked about the same Greek word. Uh, and I think Jeff's word could mean one. In the 19th, but basically, is and Greek word is 24. It's not in Luke 24, where Jesus said, Touch me, handle me, and see. That's uh, like okay. We're, we're having a hard time, Scott. You are breaking up, and that yeah. one bring that comment in. Next week, when we get your audio straightened out, because that's important what you're talking about, and I don't want to be broken up. Yeah, and I, oh, I think I understood most of what you said, and you also put it here in the chat. The, the short version of that is the Greek word for touch is a different word in Luke 24. The, work, the word in Luke 24 is selafeo, uh, or something to that effect. And so it's not even the same Greek word for touch in those two passages. Yeah, was, was, had Luke 24 been brought into that conversation yes. by the questioner? 
Uh, not by the questioner. I brought it up just as another example of Jesus inviting the disciples to touch him. Oh, oh, oh okay. All right. Good. Yes. Yes. The, well, the listen, question. Mm-hmm. Go ahead, Drew. I was just going to share my screen, put that closing. We're getting close to closing. So if anybody wants to contact us, they can contact. Well, the easiest way to contact us is to go to BibleQuest.tv. And there's a form right there. You might have to scroll down a little bit, and you can ask away any questions you want, uh, comments, questions, and whatever. Um, so we want to hear more from you. So I'm sorry I was interrupting you, Stephen. Go ahead. Oh, that's all right. I just also will say we just had a question come in from John on Facebook, and we'll try to get that to that question in a future week, question about Judges 119, and uh, we'll uh, try to get that to that um, Next week, hopefully, as we have time. Thanks to everybody. We had a lot of audience participation today. Appreciate your questions and comments. And as always, we want to always go back to the Word of God for our answers and do our very best to stand uh, solely on the firm foundation of of God's Word. Uh, Thanks to everybody for your comments this week. Thank you, guys. Thank you, everybody. Goodbye.